This week on Deep Night. And I always felt behind, like somehow I wasn't doing what I should be or whatever, you know. And so I started uh, talking to people whose careers I admired, and that's really how it started. Yeah. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, your host, your Russian hotel room security cam, your vigilant yet underpaid watchman keeping an eye on the waterfront, keenly attuned to all that transpires and transgresses in this, the deep night. We come to you at this hour of regrets and revelations, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. The Guani absorbed a lot of frozen liquid during the recent snowstorm here. She's positively bursting. You know the way a pregnant lady has a certain glow about her? Well, the Gowanus right now is like that. Like you want to know all of her secrets, but you also want to take classes where you learn how to breathe properly. You just know that a slippery, grimy snow baby is probably going to be circling within her and around the filtration tanks for months to come. Oh, to be a grimy snow baby once more. Lots happening in the world. Most of it falls under the category of, I really wish I didn't have to think about that. The Tugger Firmoil era at our meditation center is soon to begin with a lavish ceremony though he promises that it will be a casually comfortable kind of affair with lots of soft sensuality and zero circus animals. On that last point, I agree, because we had a goat once in a petting zoo when Brandon Crager was celebrating his leadership appointment back in '09. You ever see a goat eat a yoga mat? I've watched one eat eight. But why do we need an inaugural event that is sensual? To begin with, unless you mean activating all the senses, in which case, fine, as long as someone, Denise, doesn't bring more of those Febreze plugins that she keeps sneaking into the unisex bathroom. One is fine, but two, both outlets, where will I charge my Fitbit? Today on the program, we welcome a friend of the show back for another go-round. Now, I've recently been welcoming more people who were on years ago to reconnect. So many people on this program, so many talents have gone on to do so many great things. It's nice to check back in with them uh, now that they're attaining this success, just to see where their life is at and how things are evolving for them. Don't you want to know? Yes. Well, some of those live shows that we did, especially in the early years, which I affectionately refer to as my single malt years, well, I could be a little tipsy during the evening's activities. I think I still delivered some quality content, but I don't remember that much of it. So I reached out to my friend and fellow talk show host, one of the best in the biz, if you ask me, Katie Lazarus. I asked her to come back and sit for a little bit to talk about her career and her career-focused program, Employee of the Month. Now, Katie's a delightful conversational companion, and she shares a lot of terrific stories in this episode. She also gives me a good ribbing here and there, but I assure you, despite what you hear, I was a perfect gentleman throughout. She just knows how to push my buttons. It's just, just the way that another talk show host does. You get two talk show hosts together and watch out, you know. <laughs> just stand back because those two just, we get it, you know, from the inside. Uh, uh, we get it. So batten down the hatches for this one, folks. Um, Employee of the Month is a weekly podcast with monthly live shows that are held at Joe's Pub in New York City. 
EmployeeOfTheMonthShow.com is the place to get info about that when, when the live ones are happening and when the new episodes are available. The house band for the live show is comprised of some dear friends of, of this program, including Andrew Bancroft, who, along with Ashley Perez-Flanagan and Jair Evnen, uh, make up the band Moondrunk. Now, Ashley and Andrew have appeared uh, on this show, and because they're going to have a big event coming up on January 30th in New York City at Ars Nova, I thought we'd include some of their music throughout the show, switch it up a little bit, so that's what you're going to be hearing throughout. Now, if you're able to, go see them live. It's always a treat. And their debut album is called Lunacy. It's out now. So as we listen to Moon Drunk, let's slide ever further into the deep night and discover some new things about each other as we listen to this conversation with myself and Katie Lazarus. Katie... Yes. How are you? Good. Good. Welcome to the deep night. I'm so pleased you could join me once again. I always love seeing you. I'm so happy to be back. The last time I had to get a court order, but I'm really happy to be here again. <laughs> oh, I like hanging out with you when we do that on occasion, seeing a hot new band or getting a slice of fancy pizza. I can actually button my own blouse, so you don't need to do that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's been some time. Since you've been on the program, hasn't it? Yeah, I you missed you. You did a live show with us, I think one of our better ones, many, many years oh, ago. Yes, that was so fun. It was fun. Uh, down at the Union Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember why the cops needed to talk to you afterwards? <laughs> I never do. But I was drinking more then, so now now it's just a crystal rub and some kombucha, oh, and I'm good to go. Nice. You're like a, Aunt Dale, you're like a regular hipster now. Yes, I've gotten with it, gotten with the scene. I'm woke. Uh, AF. <laughs> <laughs> is that pronounced F? Yes. Woke F. So the world is basically on fire, Katie, but um, you, you uh, persist. <laughs> you go on, and if we can... A power of ten down to the to our current field of vision. Uh, what hap- What's been going on with you since I've last seen you? You had an incident with a, a p- person coming up and talk about police uh, stealing something. Oh, that's right. Well, actually, that's a crazy story. I was on a Tinder date, and twenty minutes. Can I can I do the lead up to the date though? Because that's my favorite. <laughs> oh, sure. Part. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Just to set the stage. Please do. Um. So this guy was really cute in third grade. And <laughs> you knew him then? Not the Tinder you... date. Not the Tinder date. This is pre-Tinder date. And he was a teacher, and I was very impressed what he'd been doing since then. He wasn't a teacher in third grade. That would be like a very brilliant kid. And to be clear, he was not your third grade teacher. He was not my third grade teacher. Okay. He was my classmate. Super cute, though. And I wasn't the only one who felt that oh, way. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like M- Margaret Richardson would agree. Like, I think he was, like, definitely the cutest. So this is a long, simmering kind of a deal. Absolutely. And uh-huh. he also, I want to be clear, I don't think he was the one who peed in the radiator. They had to call all the boys in. And I want to, I mean... I don't know who it was, and I don't want to point fingers. Yeah, um, but I, I'm just, I just feel like he wasn't the type, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but so he reached out to me, and I wasn't sure if he had a family or whatever, and so I, I just wasn't sure. But I just knew that he had really good, thoughtful politics because I had seen some of his posts, okay. and I remembered how um, darling he was when we were young. Um, so we met, and 
he proceeded to, um, he's really involved in Black Lives Matter, which is a beautiful and vital and necessary and critical cause to be a part of. Yes. But he did proceed to lecture me. I want to just point out that he is white. I'm uh, white as well. Mm-hmm. And he was like lecturing me on how white women did not show up for Black Lives Matter. They don't care. They only cared after um, Hillary didn't get elected, Hillary Clinton. And that feels good. It's good to start with a lecture. It always feels good. And, <laughs> you know, part of me just wanted to be like, you're probably right. Do you know what I mean? There has not been enough attention to this cause. Like, I, I value, like, because ultimately, at the end of the day, I agree. Like, we should have all been showing up, <laughs> not just like before Hillary was elected, 50 years ago, 100 years yeah. ago. Yes. Maybe slavery shouldn't have happened. Like, let's go back there. Like, definitely should not have happened, you know? Right. We could have been more present. <laughs> but the idea that that I'm somehow either going to fix this right now in this moment on this coffee date or not is a little hard <laughs> to swallow. And I'm, I was less concerned at that moment that Hillary didn't win, but the fact that we elected a predator, that, right. that to me is ultimately right. um, what's at stake and where we're at right now. Yes. So I'm getting lectured by him about how like women don't re- white women don't really care about Black Lives Matter, but obviously white males do, um, which I didn't over, point so, out. This is over coffee? This is over coffee. Okay. This is like a midday date? So this is 5 o'clock, and oh, I got to get to a 7 o'clock date. Okay. And Wait, then, there's another date afterwards? Well, no, I'm just meeting this guy for coffee. Okay. I have my Tinder date. Oh, at I seven. see. This is the lead up to the date. Lead up. This person was the third grade kid. Yeah. And you had a kind of pre just let, let's get together for coffee. Yeah. I've always thought you were cute and I yeah. like your politics. Okay, I'm on yeah. I'm on board. And so then I'm getting getting um lectured and um <laughs> you know, and and like look, I worked in foster care and social service, I studied civil rights movement, and I also am keenly aware of you know, being able to pass and privilege and all of these things. So I, I don't want to, like, dismiss all of these very um, important elements. But it's also been something that's been something that I've been both uh, working on and actively engaged in um, for 30 years. Right. So so then— Of your 25 years here on Earth. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So then he goes to the bathroom, and I notice the woman next to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, I know this woman. And so I said hello to her, kind of like excited to see someone and feel a sense of sanity. You know when you see someone familiar? Yes. And you just want to like get back to planet Earth, right? Yes. And um, it's getting close to the time that I need to bust out of here. But he's in the bathroom and she starts talking to me. And her husband uh, is an extraordinarily wealthy Hollywood writer for some of like – um, some good comedy stuff, but also some comedy stuff. <laughs> some, also some underwhelming, but like really financially successful is yes. what I would say. Yes. As is she. She's done some as well. And she's also ghostwritten um, books for some very high-level business women. Uh-huh. Um, and About this, leaning. And <laughs> so she – I look at her and I'm like, how are you doing? And she's like – this election was a personal rebuke. She's also white. I'm just going to yeah, point out. Yeah. And um, I think I pointed out the extraordinary wealth. Um, and she's like, this was a personal rebuke. And I was like, I, I kind of feel like Trump is, is bad for pretty much everyone. Like, if you breathe air, you know, the environment. <laughs> like, I was just, like, trying to think of, like, one person who stands to gain. And even millionaires who know that he's a horrible business person yes. also still have to breathe air. 
Yeah. <laughs> so like, just, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm someone who's like first on the chopping block because um, I'm only alive because of um, health care from, from affordable care and all of the different caveats that go along with it, that they, all the stipulations right, they put right. in. So I'm not saying anything. And she's like, my husband and I, we were forced to buy property in Canada. <laughs> Sitting here like, uh, I'm hoping, and I believe I speak for most Americans, like wondering if we're going to be able to pay rent. <laughs> right. Like, what a terrible burden. <laughs> you know, never mind. Immigrants, never mind. Like all of the groups, all of the people who are like, again, because everyone is affected. And I really am not into this pitting people against each other kind of thing yeah. right now. Um, not that there aren't certain issues that are like, endemic to one population suffering more than another that's i'm valuing and acknowledging all of those things but anyways so she's like yeah my sons my sons might have to go serve in the military nobody wants nobody wants nobody wants your kids in the military right now like no one's worried about it (laughs) and so then i just started to get upset and she goes you know i've started to have to get new friends and I'm thinking probably because she's not such a nice person or something, you know what I mean? And instead she goes, you know, because I'm getting older. She's, I think, in her 50s. And she goes, you know, I'm getting older. They might die. And I was like, interesting that you think they might die. <laughs> so again, I'm like sitting here. And so he comes back. The third grade, you know, love interest comes back. And she's there. And she is reinforcing why he hates these privileged white women because she is specifically his example. Right. And after I've been like, no, it's not all white women who are bad. Um, and now I'm like, maybe it is. <laughs> so for me. And maybe I'm like, those, How do I get? those two could be French. So then they started talking and I'm like, I've got to go to my Tinder date. I got to get out of here. So I finally leave. It's pouring rain out. I just want to point out that it okay, is pouring yes. rain out. And I also want to point out that so I live right above that poverty line and in a sweet spot. I am grateful to do what I do for a living. Um, it does not pay very well, but it is it is a beautiful thing to be able to do it. And I'm I'm grateful for it. Thankful for it. And you do it well. And we'll talk about that later. Thank yeah, you. But and you put it all in. I put it all in. Yes. And we're also in such an established and thoughtful industry that tend to get paid in cash. So <laughs> I had a lot of cash on me, not because I'm selling um, pharmaceuticals off-label, but because I'd done a bunch of gigs. And in addition, you've got a lot of gigs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of work. I'd like you know clumped all together. My whole piggy bank was in my wallet. Ugh. And it had been so pouring 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 all day so i hadn't gone to the bank because my i went to the laundry and the laundry like shamed me for like being outside because i could get sick and i was like okay i'll just go home and not go to the bank so i go to my my tinder date and it's at a, like a hipster bar in a in a polish neighborhood in um greenpoint which yes. is off williamsburg very pretty think portlandia but in brooklyn Right. <laughs> and there are little um, hooks right under the bar to like put your pocketbook. So yeah. I got my umbrella and my pocketbook there. Yeah. And it's you're all scrunched in, you yes. know, everyone's all scrunched in. And I'm talking to this guy and he's lovely and it's fun and we're talking and he's from Colombia and he's telling me that he sells roses and I'm hoping that the labor is paid well in Colombia and hoping that the roses are, you know, red and um, not, I don't know. Whatever white roses, I always thought white roses are a little. Are those odd. bad? 
I don't know. There's just something super cheesy. I mean, I love Boys to Men, but it just like reminds oh, me of the 80s. Yeah. It has a sort of cool in the gang feel to it. <laughs> and um, I don't know. It was lovely, right? Yes. I'm just having fun. And it yeah. was like, oh, 20 minutes of just an enjoyable conversation, um, partly because I'm not being lectured about all of the things that um, people do wrong that I seem to resemble. <laughs> and then have that reinforced because I'm like, oh, yeah, she is a pain in the ass. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, Black Lives Matter. And um, so 20 minutes in, we're like talking, hanging out. And then I feel my something at my knee, and the person next to me, I see him and his buddy run out, and they had stolen my entire pocketbook. Oh. And I ran after them. Into late. the rain? Into the rain. Too late. They were gone. Too fast. Oh, it, too... Wasn't, it wasn't raining by then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, too fast. They'd gone. And then- So that's all the cash? That's what your phone? Cash. Um, keys? Two- so I'm working on a book, Keys. Yeah. Working on a book. Yeah. Um, so two chapters. Oh, we got that backed up somewhere. No. Handwritten? I, I handwrite. Oh. <laughs> I am the last oh. of a of a generation. I think you I think it imprints in your mind more and you I agree. It, it no, allows I... for creativity, at least for me. And so two of those. So I also <laughs> love like coffee cards, meal cards, all of those things. I had every single gift certificate, you <laughs> name it, that like people give you instead of like, like here's a gift, but oh. I'll give you like $50 on my gift card. Here's the return <laughs> things. I'm Jewish, but not that that means anything, but it's sort of that. But anyway, so like I had a lot <laughs> in that one bag. And I also like try to keep organized by keeping everything together yes. in that bag. Now oh, it's God. gone. All gone, including a brand new pocketbook. I was so embarrassed about how much money I'd spent on the pocketbook that I like pretended it was less. And then I just spent the evening <laughs> Wait, to, to, to the cops. <laughs> I was like, eh, I really didn't spend that much on it. <laughs> Given how little I make, it probably should not be. Um, but I, so I had to watch all night as these guys wa- went between Manhattan and Brooklyn, oh. and the cops didn't do anything. So you could actually track them on the iPhone. Because it has the Find My Phone feature or it something? It has the Find My Phone feature. You could track it on my subway card, which is a Metro card. Um, because that's bought with a credit yeah. card. Like, everything can be tracked. Like, all of these things. The only positive of the fact that we are being tracked all the time. <laughs> and the cops aren't doing anything. They, they, the, these guys kept the phone on from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. CVS. Okay, so my name is Katie. I'm not saying that there can't be men named Katie, but one would hope at CVS that they might, like, at least look at the card. I don't have a lot of hope in CVS. They spent $501 (laughs) at CVS. Okay, so tell me, what can you buy for $501 at CVS? I'm just curious. It's a lot of expensive shampoos. Maybe some three-way light bulbs. I like the idea that they just bought the travel shampoos, <laughs> and like, and then we're like, you know what? Let's splurge. Let's go for the travel listerine too. Get, get them all. <laughs> like, I just, I all I want to do is watch those tapes more than anything. But now you couldn't, uh, you didn't want to wipe it or anything because you were thinking that uh, by tracking them you were helping. I am embarrassed to say that I I um, wiped away as many cards as I could remember, but I had actually forgotten about that one. The the phone wiping. Uh, oh, no, the I phone meant, I wanted to track. The phone I wanted yes, to track. to try and find them yeah. or something. Yeah, but the, the CVS spending yeah. on my card, I am embarrassed to say that I'd actually I'd forgotten about that, that particular card. card. Because um, I was, I mean, there's so many things. My New York City ID I just got so I could get these all these discounts. You know what it probably was, is the self-checkout. Yeah, 
That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm I still want to go. Thank you for solving the crime. Can you find out which self checkout machine have, didn't they've question? They've got to have cameras or something. So what? Uh, what's the the upshot now? They never found these uh, individuals. So then this is. So then I would like call the cops just to follow up. I knew sure. that. I mean, I mean, I I get it. There are much larger issues in the Maslow hierarchy of needs as we have Trump coming in. Significantly larger issues coming than like me being out three thousand dollars. But so. I just wanted to follow up, right? Yeah. So I finally hear back a uh, <laughs> week and a half later from the detective, and she's like, sorry, I was sick. I was out. As if there's, like, only one detective. What? Then, okay, so then I, like, follow up. I'm like, okay, well, you know, can you let me know which CBS? I want to, like, go there. I want to find this stuff out. You know, have you found out anything? Like, cameras in the subway, cameras at the CVS store. Three and a half weeks later. Sorry, I was on vacation. <laughs> Just like, I don't know where Come I've on. gone. So, guys, have faith. Have faith <laughs> in systems. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. But I do want to have faith in people. Can I tell the little end of yes, story? Yes, of course. Yes. The most beautiful thing happened where um, a fan of the podcast, probably a fellow community comedy member, yes. um, started this GoFundMe for me and I was I was mortified at first and then just so grateful like profoundly um, transformed because um, like most people uh, with a moral compass I was really sad when Trump got elected and I am not kidding about the fear um, for my life in terms of healthcare and people gave money and uh, and it was just the sweetest thing in the world it really like transformed my thinking and um, yeah, it's up to us now to not only hold him accountable, but um, somehow figure out a way to get a lot of people out of office. I'm not sure how we're going to do it. <laughs> well, they, they might do it to themselves, <laughs> the way things are going. <laughs> I, well, I hope that they're held accountable for that and it's taken care of quickly. But I, 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 have, I know that a new Watergate is on our hands, but I'm not sure if it will be um, – if they will be convicted so quickly. So I think it's up to us. Well, when they control the checks and balances, it's pretty difficult. But uh, – uh, was, I, I I don't know, uh, but I'm also uh, heartened, and something else we should take from that is that we all have to support each other yes. in this, and we have to find these alternate. Thank goodness there are things like GoFundMe or Kickstarter or some of the other ones that allow us to bandy together and support real innovation and each other on a very practical level. Absolutely, and I would encourage people to do the ones with the lowest um, take for them, <laughs> but yes. like yeah. meaning like the. Um, but me- meaning the companies themselves, like, and it is a, that's the hardest part. Like Peter Thiel, who is gay but um, does not uh, support helping other LGBTQ or any other humans, um, he wants to start his own islands. <laughs> where I think he already has actually, where where he can just live, which is fine. But like, I just don't go live on that. I wish all of those people would go live on that island and never <laughs> return. I, yeah, there's things once you're that, once pay, you're like by an island, people. rich. It's everything's problematic to me. I just the idea that people don't want to pay taxes when they drive on the same roads when it's statistically proven if you help every child get a good education there's going to be less violence if you enable everyone to have opportunities like these problems that I think affect you as well you know anyway yeah or it doesn't matter if it does it's like 
it's just who we should be, Dale. I'm uh, sorry. I'm now I lecture. With you. Now no, at I... the end of that date, we went full circle, <laughs> and I just gave you a patronizing lecture about how peace is a is a probably a good thing. Way to go on a limb, Katie. <laughs> I like when things tied up nice. Uh, things get tied up nicely. Full circle. So wonderful. Um, now, but that uh, that mugging, mm-hmm. uh, that event, it mm-hmm. capped off mm, some bad times there. Last year was tough for a lot of people, but you had uh, just come through a, a difficult time, I don't know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. You mentioned the healthcare thing, and you're you're fine now. Like, doing incredible. Doing yeah. incredible. Yeah. You look great. Thank you very, very much. And has uh, gone through whatever all that was uh, and changed how you approach the show that you run, Employee of the Month. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love when people are, like, looking for, like, depth. Some... No, I think, like, I mean— I I continue to I mean everyone's had had like hard knocks at different parts in their their life right. and um and I think it is why well, I'm not into silver linings but what I am into is like what can I take from this experience uh-huh. you know when people say like everything happens for a reason that can include bad reasons like it is a bad reason that Trump got elected yeah. <laughs> yes um but. But I do think it's important, like I said, for, okay, so now it's up to us to really become much more active. And I do think there was there is an entitlement in the U.S. for people who have not grown up with a dictator, apparently. Um, to, or read about it. Or read about it. Or watched a movie That's with right. It. That's right. And also the, the American ideal that we need to necessarily, like, identify with everyone. Um, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a rural area and not have access to everything. But it's important for me to listen to that experience. In the same way that it's important for me to understand what it's like to be a refugee in Somalia, to the extent that I can walk in that person's shoes, um, yeah. is less necessary than being able to be empathetic and say, like, wow, that sounds incredibly difficult. How can I be of service? But also uh, – And entertain that, them. It goes both ways, though, too, and entertain them, sure. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they could look at what, what – People who have come from that place and gone yes. on and done things and contributed greatly to society or even in small ways to yes. society, and they could understand that that's a valid point of view as well. We don't have to be this. Absolutely. Yeah. Y- you've you've done the thing that I want to do, and so now, f- therefore, I don't like you. Yes. And I, I really don't want to, like, dismiss the importance of learning from challenging situations, but there's a there's a narrative and a lot of um, self-help speeches and TED Talks from incredibly successful people where they talk about the one time they failed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, failure, I really learned from that. That's because they failed one time. And I, I, I'm wary of that being the, the impetus because I also think endemic in society is success begets success. Yeah. And so that they are in a position where they can learn from that failure. But if you look at real f- failure in terms of creating poverty and other types of systemic issues, like it becomes harder and harder to really put those um, opportunities to you, those learning opportunities to use when you're having to deal with finding food, water, shelter, all of those things. Yes, yes, that kind of failure is. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Certain kinds you know. of failures that like you can kind of glorify. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not trying to fit you into a narrative uh, with the, talking about emerging Dale. from tough times. Dale. I'm not trying to block you in here. Dale. <laughs> the only time I remember you blocking me in is into your pickup truck. Okay. <laughs> it's a LeBaron. <laughs> a Pontiac LeBaron. Maroon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Lil Barry. Um but but uh, what it's what strikes me about the, your answer to that question and your response there is that there has been to me uh, uh, my sense of you is this 
um, just spirit that won't give up, this uh, persistence of uh, vision and creativity. So you say it didn't alter how you do the thing, and that jives with my experience of you, that that show must go on kind of thing is yeah, very much is very ingrained and very deep for you. Well, it's also like, you know, pain and grief and sadness and anguish, I, I feel it's important to feel all of these things um, in part because you got to make room for more um, as you grow older, but also um, to make room for the joy and the love and the fun. Right. And so I don't – one doesn't cancel out the other. I think as an artist or comedian, writer, um, for me, I'm a talk show host and writer, and, like, I can be extraordinarily confident in um, the desire to do something and also insecure. Yes. You know, like, I just don't see them, like, separating the, the – I, I guess one doesn't cancel each other, the other one out. Right. Yeah, it's in, uh, informs the other. In the same greatly. way that fun and sadness, like, you know, those highs and lows, like, enjoy the I, – I like to enjoy the highs, personally. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I wouldn't be where I am without a tremendous sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great chasms. Of darkness. Yes. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, But let's back up a little bit because I don't know how much we covered the first time we were together, but uh, that doesn't matter. I don't think we covered anything of of substance. Someone could be forgiven if they're just tuning in and listening to think that maybe you're from New York itself. You're such a fixture on the New York scene, but in fact, you're from D.C., yes. Dale. Dale, such research. Such tremendous (laughs) research. Also, can I have my driver's license back, please? Um. Yes, I am from Washington, D.C. Despite my accent, no yeah. one in my family sounds like me. And I went in for a voiceover audition, I remember. And the casting director was like, you're a little provincial sounding. And I was like, this is exotic from where I'm from. <laughs> provincial. I'm from <laughs> the that South that town. doesn't believe it's the South. <laughs> it's a weird place, though, isn't it, D.C.? You know, D.C., under the, under the Obama administration, actually became a real cultural haven, uh-huh. and it's extraordinary, and I envy people who got to live there then, because when I grew up there, it felt like, oh, this is a great window into the 1950s. <laughs> yes. Um, it was an inexorably segregated city. But I, what I will say that I really loved about growing up there, there's, there are a couple things. Like, one is, is there was a very strong black middle class, black upper class, and so social stratification in terms of class was always um, part of discussions, whether it was race or sexism or, or all the different issues. There, it, you don't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. And I, I really loved the nuance that was so palpable in in being able to understand how the world works because um, I think that's often missing right now from from dialogue in, in younger – I don't want to say younger folks, but in, in terms of people just tuning in. Yes, yes. Um, and so – I, I definitely saw a range of people, lived with a range of people, um, worked with a range of people, grew up with that. Uh, I like that part. And also, it's not like, I don't know, man, like New York is a lot more about money. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of feel like you live in a shopping mall sometimes in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you're, 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 uh, you have to, it's inevitable uh, because you're driven by it. You yeah. have to have it to be here. Yes. And at the same time, at the flip side, um, what I love about living here is it feels like I'll walk down the street and then I run into someone I know. Like I ran into your parole officer like just this morning <laughs> and I was like, oh, like it, it just warms my heart. Um, and then, of course, really the arts. bringing a lot of the darker <laughs> elements <laughs> of my past life. Um, 
Well, I shouldn't say it's weird down there, but I should say I don't have a handle on it because I've only been down there for conferences and conventions, that kind of a thing. I was there once as a youth for the National Youth Leadership Council See, there, in high there school. are so many councils there and so many acronyms. But also, you know, at the end of the day, like most of the people are good. There are people who are completely arrogant who say they run a nonprofit for Laotian refugees who used to make loots and, you know, no longer can. <laughs> and it's really like a way to embezzle money. But that, those are very few and far in between. Like I would say most of the people I know there are very good people. They may not be very interesting people. Um, but they're they're good. They're good yeah. eggs. Well, I uh, was at this conference. I uh, first that was when I first fell in love with Maddie Albright. Oh uh, yes, she was a well, speaker. Well, she was a real looker then, and Absolutely. she still is. I should still say that. is, and a gentle lover. Yeah, and, and those uh, pins. All oh, the brooches. Those sexy brooches. Yes, so glittery. Yeah. Uh, beneath the disco lights, uh, and uh, then we had some speaker who just put you right. It was an astronaut. And, Oh, gosh. The well, breakfast uh, <laughs> plenary. I, mean, I was put to sleep under the table by that person. DC specializes in that. So that's another beautiful thing. And I don't know if you've watched C-SPAN, but a lot of people go straight to Ativan. And I'm like, there is a sleep medication that is not going to have side effects in the morning because you're not going to remember a thing that person said. Just turn on C-SPAN. C-SPAN. Sometimes yep. you can see people sleeping on it. One time my friend's dad had insomnia in the middle of the night, and he turned it on, and he saw my dad sleeping in the back of some <laughs> some <laughs> congressional questioning. And if that doesn't do it, there's C-SPAN too. Yes, that's right. They give two two stations. <laughs> I like when there's nothing going on in C-SPAN, like there's not even a soul in the room, and then you'll just see someone walk by like in 45 minutes in. Well, it, it speaks to my dream of wanting to stage a, a real um, – uh, intense drama on uh, City Drive Live, that channel. <laughs> it's just from Times Square on the cameras. I love that. I'd I like to those. do just a little situational uh, drama or comedy or dramedy uh, just uh, staged for those cameras. I think that would be a really lovely thing for people. I don't tune know this... in. Well, what's happening? And watch it. Yeah. No sound. <laughs> None. Why would you? Why would you ever? I, I, I don't know if this is still true, but I believe that Paula Poundstone had like a, a nanny cam on her cats at home. I just like that, that you could just tune in on her website. There's a, a world of entertainment out there, isn't it? <laughs> well, I did happen to look up the national youth leadership that you said this is a nefarious element to some things. And I thought, well, what, what's going on with the national Maybe there's an alumni group I could get involved with yeah. or tell people about things. You could start mentoring people, right? I could. But it is. Uh, it turns out it's just a predatory uh, money-making scheme. <laughs> Really? Yeah, and it's just supposed to be this honor and everything, and then you pay a couple thousand bucks to go, and you're just, I mean, they get good speakers and everything, but what really came out of that? It's like the who's who. You have anything like that in your life you thought was an honor, and then it turns to a kind of wet paper mache in your hands? Yeah, oh, okay. So when I first started stand-up, I won all these, like, unwittingly amusing awards. Hmm. Like, the first time I got on stage, so I had dropped out of a doctorate in psychology when I started stand-up, so I didn't... I hadn't been on stage. I'd only seen it, like, I guess 11 years earlier. I saw um, Norm MacDonald and Seinfeld and some other guy at the Ice House in Pasadena. Uh. And I was 17. <laughs> and sorry. So, okay, it was 10 years later that I started then. And Norm, after the show, okay, first of all, Seinfeld got in a fight with someone in the audience. A heckler or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the guy who I his name I still don't know was the funniest out of all three. <laughs> and Norm 
afterwards, he was like hitting on me and my, uh, he was hitting on my friend and I, excuse me. And uh, I just want to make sure that we get it grammatically correct. <laughs> yes. And he had an apartment, he said, in Chinatown. And this was, we were in California. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds so sexy. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh my God, an apartment in Chinatown in the 90s. <laughs> Lord knows what was going on in there. He was sharing a bunk bed. That's right. <laughs> and other new arrivals. But like, um, but it was an important life lesson later. You know what I mean? When you do stand up, actually. Um, anyways, just to see like the guy you don't know happens to be the funniest and you may still never know him because talent doesn't necessarily beget success. But anything happened with Norm? No. (laughs) But I hear he's a really great tennis player and I'd like to play with him. Probably probably still could. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so I I got up on stage the first... First time I got up on stage, well, so before I got up on stage, I was on the subway at like four in the morning coming home from a uh, waitressing job. Yeah, that's in. this is in New York. In now. New York. Yeah. And I had a how-to-do stand-up book because I was like, I should learn since I'm going up the next night. And this guy starts talking to me and he's like, I'm a stand-up. And it's it's 4 a.m., okay? So like I hadn't heard that pickup line yet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, gosh. And I'm also, you know, falling asleep a little bit. But he, he won't quit. And he's like – what are you reading? And I said I was going to do stand-up the next night. And he's like, that book is not going to help you. Tell me your jokes. And I'm like, oh, my God, who is this guy? And I'm, like, trying to get him away. And then he gets off at my stop. Oh, geez. And that's, like, it's it's late at yeah, night. And yeah. it's a little scary, right? So we're walking, we're walking. And then it gets to my building. And he made the funniest joke about how you really basically need a subway card. My building looked super fancy. <laughs> but it was... <laughs> It should have been a mental hospital. It could have been. <laughs> it was amazing. The character. fancy. Oh yeah, like let's not just the people who like collect cans, but you have people like in full on leopard outfits that they've never changed out of. Like it was just a very funny hodgepodge, and he clearly knew. Um, he had grown up there. He used to be a bullet dancer. He would be like, I was in the bullet, but. Uh, then I, I think I don't know if he had a coke problem or he tore his Achilles heel. But then he either he way up and stand up. That's the two ways you get out of that. <laughs> he was a very successful ballet dancer, and and his dad ran a um, a dog salon. <laughs> Sounds like a win. How long did you go out with him? No, we didn't date. So it was just this evening. So he's like, so finally it's like you know crack it on, and he's like, tell me your jokes, and I told him my jokes because I only had a couple jokes. You sure, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't done stand-up. I'd been, a tight five. I'd been working in foster care and then doing a doctor, and I was just waiting like for my body to be found when I was studying for my you know um, degree. But uh, So I told him my jokes, and he's like, you're going to bomb. Terrible jokes. Mm-hmm. And most people bomb. And bombing means that you um, die on stage. You fail. You don't, you don't do well, right? The audience doesn't love you. I wouldn't know. Dale would have no idea, but I'm just going <laughs> to fill him in. So he was preparing me for the worst based on what he had heard coming out of my mouth. And um, next night I show up and I go to Stand Up New York, yeah, which is a, a well-known comedy club in the city. And um, I asked if I could go up, you know, relatively early. My uncle and aunt had come in and they were landscapers. So they woke up at about five in the morning. So I was like, could I go up early to the booker? And he's like, can I curse on the show? Yes. He's like, you'll fucking go up when I fucking tell you you go up. Do you fucking understand me? Great start. There like, I could tell that we really hit it off. There's the supportive <laughs> comedy community. 
<laughs> so he's going off on me, and he can't get over like what a jackass I am, and he's like telling everyone who comes in what a fucking idiot I am. Totally deserved. And uh, so now I am the punchline. And luckily, that guy, the belay dancer, came to my rescue, and he was like, "Dude, just just let her on." So luckily, I didn't go up at midnight, cause you know, or even at all, right? Yeah, he, yeah. The, this booker could have been like, yeah, yeah, "Fuck you, you. you, like you're out of here." And uh, so I got to go on. I went on after David Tell, which was terrifying and probably not a good idea because David Tell is very, very funny. But did he have some place to be? <laughs> Why was he so early? <laughs> well, people on st- well, no, no, it was late. It wasn't oh, okay, early okay. in the evening. Right. People, two things about stand up and stand up clubs is like one is those shows like have no direction. They have no beginning, middle, and end. Like right. they just put stand ups on all night. Like you can be there for hours. And the, you can see the biggest names because they go on to go do a zillion other spots that night. Right. Right. But so I went on. I told my jokes about my imaginary friends who I met at a frat party. I met – I talked about the nannies on the Upper East Side and how nice it was that they had adopted these poor black children. Like I did my <laughs> modern dance concerts, which is a huge thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Wesleyan and I had to watch modern dance concerts. No one else has to sit through those. So that's an audience of three. And um, but I I did great and I won this contest, New York's funniest resident. Wow. Just that night? Just that night. I won a free trip to San Francisco. The that same booker told me I was gonna be the next Tina Fey. I was a sexy Tina Fey and that my career was starting and that this would be my home club. Wow. And I got on the cover of the New York Resident magazine and one of the ugliest photos you can ever see. <laughs> uh, what, what's the circulation of that uh, Brooke, you know, uh, New York resident? Okay, first of all, there have got to be a couple dentist offices that have <laughs> forgotten to renew their subscriptions to Highlights Magazine and Cat Fancy, and they are getting New York resident. So let's not dismiss. There are no other newspapers in New York. There's no, no other media. No, that's the one to go to. Well, that's quite an honor. Thank you. So you had to feel uh, emboldened by that. I was ready to take on stand-up. I didn't know why more people didn't do this. Did you go in knowing there would be a competition? No, no, no. So here's here's the rub. Yeah. So it didn't occur to me that you just won a contest you didn't enter. It might not be a legitimate (laughs) contest. Also, does Chris Rock have a residence here? Does, like, Steve Martin? Like, think about all the hilarious people, including Tina Fey, who have residences in New York. Potentially. And um, then I go to collect my prize money, and uh, it turns out my loot, my trip to San Francisco, yeah. it turns out that the word trip is ambiguous. <laughs> They're like, <How> so? <laughs> to them, that's what they wrote. <laughs> it, it said, the, I'm sorry uh, if the word, um, you know, trip is ambiguous. So they were just going to give me a five course tasting meal once I got to San Francisco. Now, if you walk to San Francisco from New York, I'm pretty sure someone would open their home and give you a couple snacks. <laughs> but even when I tried to get that, nothing. When I went back to the club, the booker couldn't even remember me. Oh. Um, and it, it was a great, it was a great intro to stand up. <laughs> the not winning like any of the the prizes that come after from these so cold like you're going to be the next your career is going to take off this year like that actually ended up being the important lesson right not all honors are real yeah. <laughs> do you still like the biz <laughs> but you went on to keep doing it 
Yes, I kept and I kept winning even more like unwittingly amusing titles and and more meaningless awards or yeah, they... funniest reporter on the planet. <laughs> oh, that's a good, but one. not in the universe. I lost, I lost mm, in L.A. That's and tough, I, that's that was tough. rigged. That was yeah. rigged. Paul <laughs> yeah. Provenza can tell you that that was rigged. He came and saw me. <laughs> he he did the aristocrat. Uh, and did any of that um, because, of course, you bestow an honor of employee of the month. Yes. And various awards to people, yeah. but those are incredibly meaningful for the people that receive them. Oh, that's so sweet. On my talk show, Employee of the Month Award is given out. So I, I talk to people about their careers because I couldn't really figure out how to jumpstart mine. I couldn't get hired to write for the Weather Channel. The segue from uh, winning these awards and doing stand-up shows to uh, actual employment. Yeah, as a you know, a writing career in yeah. comedy, which is what I had really aspired to at the time couldn't really figure out how to break in. I didn't get the language and the politics um, of wearing sunglasses indoors and, you know, <laughs> kissy kissy and being like, yeah, I love you. And then like nothing following up. I, I didn't really, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. And I always felt behind, like somehow I wasn't doing what I should be or whatever, you know. And so I started uh, talking to people whose careers I admired. And that's really how it started. Yeah. And that's um, how long ago now? Well, I'm 21 now, as you said before, 25. <laughs> so, right. seven seven years. It's pretty seven good. years. And um, yeah, that Employee of the Month award is really meant to show that whatever we do, we're all equal. So, whether you are a rock star or a taxidermist um, or work at Dunkin' Donuts, like whatever you do, if you can love what you do, if you can figure out a way to either mainly love what you do. Or um, find a way to love something about what you do, or find something you love to do on the side. Um, do so. Um, but th those awards are I mean, play of the month award. I guess is fall somewhere between a Pulitzer and a free cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> somewhere in that range. And it's not uh, again not to fit any kind of narrative uh, over over your life, your career. But you you come from uh, department store people, where there was clearly an employee of the month. At some place. Yeah. At some okay. Point. So yeah, I picked the wrong branch of the family, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's right. That my my dad's family um, created the first department store chain, and I, I again my my dad is a policy wonk. My you know family does um, thoughtful work, which I'm very proud of, and yes. and, and and grateful that they do. But um, unfortunately, I yeah I did not. You know, if you can go back, we really, you should, when you're born in the incubators, yeah. in those great incubators, you get out, you have your first sublet for nine months, free food and utilities, water. Like, there should be a sign-up sheet yep. where you just get a moment to sort of decide which family you're going to be born into <laughs> instead of being arbitrarily <laughs> born into. Um, but, uh, but yes, that's right. They had department stores, and they did extraordinary things. They had the first price tag, the first commission, the first escalator. They had to get rid of it because people were scared. Yeah, too frightening. Too frightening. And then they to brought it back. lifted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they paid for people's educations uh, who worked there. And... Progressive uh, enterprise. Yeah. I mean, it's still capitalism, but it was progressive. Yes. Yeah. We'll take it, it where we can get it. Yes. And I, I, we share that because uh, my family uh, was part of the Newberry Five and Dime. Oh, that just the same. Just the same. Yeah. Cause they... I mean, not a big department store in the same way, but they're more on the Woolworth level. You know, maybe closer to the people. I don't know. I don't know. Well, also now, or at <laughs> one, you know, at, at one point it was an extremely fancy department store, Lazarus. But yeah. there were times when it was not so fancy. I'm told. So, yeah. so, um, so yes. And it is a similar. It doesn't like at the end of the day, you're just selling 
Same Hope, stuff. Yeah, hopefully quality stuff. <laughs> That's right. But. No, I think they prided themselves on having good good things there. Well, so it's an the same affordable thing. price. Yes, yeah. yes I, I just, it's uh, stuff. It's stuff. Yeah. People are going to come just in and get it. Shoving stuff on you. That's our great legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I like finding points of connection like that and seeing how it informs us as we go forward. Dale, that's so beautiful. <laughs> do you like that show? I uh, do. Uh, um, uh, are you being served? Do you ever watch that? I don't know that show. Oh, it's about an English department store. I've a lot of puns it. and things. Oh, oh I have to watch it. It's great fun. I'm, Tune I'm into a... Mrs. Slocum. You'll be uh, very happy. I'm a fan um, of bad so you, so you, you get the Employee of the Month show up and running seven years ago. You move through some of the spaces we have in New York, and now you end up at Joe's Pub, which I think we can agree is one of the great venues uh, in, in New York. Um, so I... I... I, UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, is really where I started. I've heard of it. And um, I love UCB. I'm so proud to, and happy and thankful to have been a part of it. And I switched venues just because I would have, like, Gloria Steinem there on my show and Rachel Maddow. I've, I have people from all walks of life. And I thought, oh, my God, I hope that they don't mind getting bed bugs. I should probably <laughs> go to because it's, it's, it's under – it's in the basement of a – Grocery store. So the idea that like a grocery store is like, you know, what? we are we're not even going to use this place for storage. Like it's not <laughs> it's not even worth it. Um, gives you a little bit of a sign of uh, the comedy clubs, you know, uh, level of seating and, and and stuff like that. But I, I at the I loved being at UCB there, and I was there for four years. That's really where I incubated the show. Yeah, and I've been at the Bell House. We've been in LA, and you know, we're we're also a podcast weekly, like you. Um, so you can get employee of the month um, that way too, but it. I think the live show is the most fun. It's the best. Yeah, I love. I, I like. I didn't see it at UCB, uh, but I like it at Joe's Pub. Yes, uh, it's yes. very comfortable yes. uh, to me as an audience member. Yes. I get my drinks and have a little food or whatever. It's a little weird with the food, but it's. it's Tell me about your food situation there. Yeah, I want to hear. I just – it's distracting. That's the part that I – the food is fine. I usually get something at the library, and then I come down and I have the drinks during the show, and that's it. I like that approach because it is a funny thing where you're – you know, you want people to be able to eat and drink um, while they're they're listening Do to you? a talk show and <laughs> having a – we have a great um, house band and a live illustrator. It's a lot of fun. There are all these yes. surprises and, and – um, but I agree. It can be distracting as an audience member, as someone who is an audience member often. And um, yeah. But I wanted to be part of a community, which is why – so UCB, I was part of a community, and that's why I went to um, Joe's Pub, which is part of the public theater. Right. And so that really was the impetus to go there. But yeah, that's, a, that's the thing about performing and New York. Um, whether <laughs> venues. You're, venues. Whether you're a performer <laughs> or audience member, just know that both of us are the ones who are like in some ways getting – Kind of the raw end of the deal. <laughs> You're not alone, audience members. We're one of you too. Well, now you've done seven years with the show. You happy with it? Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's a really fun ride, and I keep using that word "fun" because I find the discovery of not knowing what someone's going to say when I um, get a glimpse into their career and try to share it with the audience. And yeah, I love, I love that nothing is scripted in that mm -hmm. sense, and it is just. It's as close to orgasming as you can get in that you really don't know what's coming next, except you know that you're going to like it. Well, that's a good a good uh, tagline for it. 
yeah. for the show. Uh, Even though it's about work. <laughs> yeah, That's where we spend most of our lives. Listen, some orgasms are about work, too, aren't they? Um, well, I feel like you're more relaxed with it. The show, the most recent show that I saw, um, you had integrated the band completely. All the elements were working. Um, the night I was there was also quite a show. You had the John Hamm and Titus Burgess. Yes. And uh, Patti LuPone. Yes. I mean, come on. That That's was, a show. It was so magical, too. So, right. So, there's so many parts to this. Like, on one hand, you know, when, when stars and celebrities do, like, the late-night talk shows on television, typically hosted by males, um, with zero experience, but then they get these million-dollar platforms. So they can be relaxed from the beginning because they don't have to be <laughs> yeah. worrying about everything. Um, but anyways, I'm not bitter about it. But in all seriousness, you know, they do those shows to promote their careers. And there is something so spectacular about the people who come on to my show because they're doing this by choice. And they're sharing their work with – People who are really listening, right, and are also treating the audience as peers. That's what I, mm-hmm. when it comes down to the mm-hmm. non-scripted part, we're having a genuine conversation. I don't ask questions. I think I already know the answer to type thing, and I take that part really seriously. Want to you know want to take their time very seriously. I take the audience's time very seriously in that sense, and it's just so much fun. And then <laughs> when. They all love being there, and they have so much energy, and they're excited to be there. Like it, it's just ecstatic. I don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, there are multiple ways to have orgasms, and I want to encourage everyone <laughs> to go out and experiment with as many ways possible. Yes, if you take anything from this podcast, that's it. That's it. That's what I want it to be. I should have like more wholesome analogies, right? <laughs> no, it's no. like sailing. <laughs> you get out there. <laughs> Feel the breeze. Yeah. Pull the jib in. <laughs> We're out. Heartily. <laughs> That's all yeah, I remember. I'd be wearing a colorful vest. <laughs> That's right. Just put, put your life jacket on and it, go on out. Just don't get sucked in by the underdough. <laughs> the underbelly of greed. But it's true that they're not pushing products and they're just talking about the, themselves. And that's a great uh, – people like to do that. Um, and uh, you make such a nice environment for people there. I thought um, I'd just go through a couple of moments recent of recent uh, uh, history with the show because the night that I saw it, Patti LuPone had some raunchier stories than I was ready for. You talk about wholesome. She had a couple of, whoa, hey, we're going there, which was great fun. It is, and you can listen to the podcast interview if you guys are, are listening, but like crabs. Like it is it is sensibly <laughs> hilarious because A, my show is about careers, so there's like, you, know, you can go in pretty wholesome air arenas, right? <laughs> right. And Patti LuPone is one of the greatest singers of our time. I would say <laughs> actors as well. And I, I want to like recommend people get her book because it is just such a fun ride. Yes. Um, but how do you get crabs like more than once, twice, three times? <laughs> it was amazing. And she's just such a bundle of joy. I think she's a brilliant human being. Yeah. No, yeah. that that was clear. And Titus opened up oh about religion in this very profound way, uh, which uh, there was a lot of humor and laughter through it. And then there was this very poignant expression of his belief. What a beautiful way to see how, like, faith at the end of the day is about the people involved in those communities. Mm-hmm. And I am so glad to meet someone who is religious and shows all the beauty in it because I think that it's really easy um, to just hear the bad stories, you know? Right. Um, and it was just so beautiful. And he's a gay black male who would talk about 
Um, there are people in his religion who are not good to him, but that is not his religion. Right, right. It was, and then of course he sang with Patty. Patty. I mean, my gosh, you go to a show and have those two get up and do a duet. Yeah, yeah. You had to feel good about that. It was one. just beautiful. John, one of the great underrated talk show guests of all time, I think. Yeah, and he um, listens. Not to interrupt to make that point, but he listens to the whole show. You should never feel bad about interrupting. <laughs> I see it as like a scene partner, and if I over over talked to you, or you know, if I spoke over you, my apologies. But I don't, I don't take offense when someone does that okay. to me. Um, yeah, I just see it as jumping in. <laughs> you get so excited that you want I to do share. Get excited. Who doesn't get excited about John Hamm? No, I do tremendously. And he talked about um, how long and how wide. His, um, <laughs> There's a lot of discussion. But he's great. Yeah. He's great. The show is great. He's a mensch. Uh, uh, only two other ones. Because uh, another show that I saw, you had Wally Shawn on. Oh, my God. And How much do you love Wally Shawn? I love him, but I also loved watching you <laughs> wrangle him because he was not giving it up at first. No. It was a difficult one, right? Oh, yeah. And then you locked on – you. you Kind of gave him a jab because he said something about being a cab driver, right? Oh my god, that is and one then... of my favorite interviews of all <laughs> time. So Wally John is like such a um, thoughtful intellect. Yes, you know, like there's some great. There's actually a great essay about being Jewish, and it's um, unfortunately for all the wrong reasons, still resonates with me. It's, it's essays that he wrote in addition to his plays because he's really first and foremost a playwright. It's just right. that. Most people know him as being um, from one of the greatest movies of all time, Princess Bride. Yes. As being invincible. Um, but Inconceivable. I, inconceivable. Yeah. <laughs> Can we please cut out me seeing Invincible? You killed my father. Prepare to die. It's my turn. It's my turn to go. Can we? We'll, we'll cut that out. We'll fix that in post. Um, I know now it's not going to get fixed. Like whenever someone says we'll fix that in post, it's going to be a stay no, Um But- but really, he he's he's a profound playwright, and um, you know, my dinner with Andre is is a wonderful look into him, and an actor, an actor. I mean, he, yeah. he's he's um, exceptional at both, and I love his relationship with uh, with Andre. But um, but uh, I wanted to say that talking with him on stage was so fun because he's so thoughtful that he talks really slowly. So my older brother is a peace activist in the Middle East, and his answering machine when he was there, uh, first of all, it would be in is um, in Hebrew, Arabic, and English. And my brother talks so slow that I like I would have spent fifteen dollars just like waiting to get to the beep. <laughs> and that's sort of like with Wally, where he's choosing his words very carefully. He's not impulsively just shouting out the wrong uh, tagline like I might or say something and then say, "Oh no, I didn't mean it that way." Yes, very thoughtful man. But it's hard on stage when you only have, <laughs> you know, 15 minutes, which is much yeah. longer than you do on television where you have about three minutes to five maybe for those interviews. So He also seemed uncomfortable talking about things he may have already talked about in some other form as if everyone's listened to every piece of Wally Shawn that's audio. Where I, that's where I empathize with them. Yeah. And also it is challenging, right? Because yeah. um, as an interviewee, it's really exhausting. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like. I was thinking about like for the Obamas 
I mean, how many Christmas photos do you think they had to take? They had a (laughs) zillion people coming by flashing their photo with them. And, you know, they're not a musician or comedian who can be like, ah, forget it. I'm not going to take a photo with you, you know? Right. And so the same goes for interviews where I think it's hard for them to, A, paint an accurate picture because, again, these are in hindsight. My Wikipedia page doesn't even have things completely accurate because I didn't get to write it. And... um. So in that sense, I sort of empathize with them, but it is also hard as an interviewer because you want to give context. Right. You need to get some of the basics just sketched out, and uh, either you do that on your own as an introduction yeah. where you use up time. Yes. Or, or you have to go through it with them and hope that they bring something new to saying each one of them. I but share you, that you challenge talk- with you, Dale. <laughs> I don't sexually harass the guests, but I share that challenge with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of those old bad behaviors. <laughs> got. But uh, you had a moment where he was talking about being a cab driver, mm-hmm. and you said, like, you'd make a terrible cab driver. I mean, the worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> and th- th- that got him. You, like, you broke him open a little bit. He, he took the... Took the jab, and then from then on, you you had him. It was a really nice moment. He um, was worried that I was saying you're, you know, because his father was the, the editor of the New Yorker. He was worried yeah. that I was, you know, saying like you're some rich kid who like never would have had a, a real job, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that had nothing to do with it. The reality <laughs> was like I have no idea if your dad's going to give you a dime. Like we just talked about my family. That doesn't mean that I, you know, inherited anything, which I'm happy to inherit. So by the way, like please, <laughs> right? If that's still <laughs> still on the offering, please. This is not me pretending to be. Yeah, it's more like I'm. I'm open um but the reality is is that having wally shawn having a thoughtful person who thinks about everything they do with such a conscientious spirit is not who you want driving your car in midtown traffic (laughs) when the other guy is gonna jump ahead of you that'll be a long a long ride i loved loved that (laughs) entire interaction and then like he doesn't even know i don't think he has a license (laughs) and like he can't drive it was so funny well, and of course, there's a you, you can see it too. And there's a video of all the things you see. John Turturro lean in. There's a moment where he decides to tell a story, and those are always great because you say, you've earned his trust and his confidence to yes. let loose with uh, something about a sex yes. scene or something. And then you have Nate Silver being perfectly Nate Silver, comparing Trump's win to Russian roulette. Which How scary was it that so on the nose? That was on a Thursday, and Nate said <laughs> the likelihood of Trump winning is the likelihood of it being a Thursday, and it was. Yeah. We ju- I just have one more thing. Please. Okay. Yeah. I'm having a ball. Okay. Because what does I that wonder- mean, I'm having a ball? Having a ball? Oh, I think in the old days, if you uh, were at a party, uh, one person was given the ball. I know, but I'm, as someone who, you know, I produce a whole show, I mean, it's a lot of work. I think like a ball, like a like a festive a festive event. I understand, yeah. but as someone who hosts a festive, uh, excuse me, yeah, as someone who hosts a festive evening, I mean, producing stuff is it's yeah. a lot of work. It's it's not it's always fun to host. It's the opposite of a ball. Yeah, yeah, it's work. <laughs> a line, a sharp tack. <laughs> so I should say. I'm having a I'm I'm being a guest at a party. That's yeah, what's fun. There, there you go. I'm getting a massage. <laughs> I've arrived uh, and uh, I can leave whenever I want. Let's switch the line from <laughs> I'm having a ball to I'm getting a massage. Okay. Great. All right. Good. Oh, I want this to be like a massage. Um, oh, I shouldn't have brought that up. I gotta get better <laughs> analogies. Let's go back to sailing. <laughs> but I wondered. And you can tell me if it's uncomfortable to say this now that we've gotten to the deep tissue part of it. Yeah. Where do you place yourself within the interview? Because I find that um, 
having hosting a talk show it's a long game right if you're in sketch comedy something similar happens where let's take snl for a second go with me here if an snl new cast comes in and you think well these aren't the people i knew okay and then after you know six episodes a season you say oh that's what they can do and you look forward to when they come back and then they do the thing that you got happy to see them do the first time. They do it again, and it tickles you, and then you have allegiance to those people. And the same thing happens with any sketch group. you know. You, and then, of course, sketch groups break apart, and they don't make it because it's so dependent on those personalities and doing the thing, and the audience member resonate. You have find some connection with what they're doing. Similar with a talk show host, but it's a longer period of time. And so you have talk show hosts that you start to feel comfortable with and you know, because it's really the focus is on the guest. It's not always on the host, but that host role is so key. And we end up revealing things about ourselves through the process to earn the audience's trust because I think that's the most important thing. They have to feel like they can go with you. You're standing in for them, for the audience. So having a monthly show where that timeline is even more stretched out, how do you balance putting yourself and bringing yourself forward I mean, once you have a natural thing, right, the audience will trust you when you go on stage. That's a, that's a gift you already have, and you can start from there. But do you uh, have to struggle at all with how much Katie is going to be present in this These are great questions. Show? I mean, you know, it's a funny thing. So I'm like, you know, a banana nut buff, muffin, nut or butter. And it is when – but when I'm interviewing people, I do, you know – shine the light on them. And so it is a funny thing that I become this, I'm a straight man in so much <laughs> as um, I want to make it comfortable for that other person. That's my my biggest hope, you know, is to ensure that that person feels comfortable so that they can share. Yes. And so there can be a feeling that you need to um, straightjacket yourself, but I'm going to encourage you not to do that. Um because it's not necessary. That said, there is a push-pull there, and I completely understand that. And also people respond to the famous person um, in a way that they don't respond to you if they don't know who you are. Yeah, so all of those challenges are all there, all these variables. As a woman, there are all these things that get projected on. Um, you can understand. You can relate, Dale, as a yes. beautiful woman yourself. You, you know what it's like. And um, – you know, all of these challenges are there, right? So you're, the audience that wants to relate to you because you're their everyman, and I hope to be that person that I can be that conduit for the audience. But I am a reliable narrator, but I am not a straight narrator. <laughs> I would say that I'm also a loopy, loopy special snowflake. Um, and so the more that I'm there, present in that sense, I think the more fun the interview is for me, and that is what enables yes. the interviewee to have a good time. I would happily do my show weekly, actually, live, um, and that's why I do the podcast weekly so that I can um, stay present in that, and I also do storytelling and things like that right. and, and host a, a zillion different benefits and you know moderate events and um, for-profit events and all kinds of things. Um, to stay alive in my own skin and comfortable in who I am. <laughs> That's so important. Well, I, I've uh, I've learned a great deal here today. Really, Katie. what did you learn? Oh, about being present, about um, not lecturing, uh, about um, well, I'll just I'll post everything. Okay. I'll just do a list. Okay. I'll run down. Lots about sailing, I think, mostly. Okay, good. Because we were drifting. <laughs> we drifted a lot in this in this one. But um, 
when's the new season get started? So I'm happy to say, well, first of all, you can go to the podcast and listen weekly, employeeofthemonthshow.com, to, to get a sense at least of the interviews. And, yes. and I post those there so that people who can't come to the live show can at least tune in um, because I, I want to share these interviews because I want everyone to try to figure out what they want to do with their lives and try to find a way in some part of their lives to do something they care about because um, we only get one shot on this merry-go-round. Thank goodness. That's true. Um, and... And you're gonna get the, you're gonna get a show February 16th. We've got Edie Falco on. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Zadie Smith is coming in March, so you can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com or at Katie Lazarus and find out more. And and then it's gonna get on TV. You got Sam B. Sign the petition. <laughs> Sign the petition. The, the, Joan Rivers got, had her thing. She's dead now. She was wonderful. Wanda Sykes had a weird step. It was always confusing on her set. She's also didn't, a wonderful. Didn't make it. Also a wonderful host. Yeah. I feel like you should be hosting that thing. Thank you. At least every week. Put it Thank on you. I like that you just pointed out the other women when they're like a zillion other white men. Um, I feel like there is more <laughs> than enough channels. There is room for all of us. A lot of those guys are great. I want them to keep their shows. But, sure. But there is more than enough room. It's it's it's. First of all, Sam doesn't even. Well, now she starts to interview. She's been interviewing people, and There's she does so. a great job. It's just a different kind of show. I would never say I. I can't have Stephen Colbert because I already have John Stewart. You want it all? Yeah. Well, we can have it all, America. <laughs> and international we, audience abroad. We, we can. Whether it happens on on that or not, doesn't matter to me, because I love the show, and I will tune in, and uh, uh, to the live show and to the podcast. <laughs> And uh, I only want you to succeed. Thank I you so much, Dale. I'm so happy to be able to be here and to be here without having to have a security guard has been one of the oh, nicer okay. experiences. So thank you. <laughs> we have fun. Thank you. Keep doing what you do, Katie. Thank you so much, Dale. Seriously, get your hands off. My words, my words, my words, my words, my words. I mean, there you have it, folks. <laughs> She had been some rough seas now and again, but I adore Katie, and I'm so glad she could join me. Now, next week, we set sail for the Barbary Coast. It's off once again to San Francisco and SF Sketchfest. We'll be live on Saturday, January 21st at 4.30 p.m. with Jenny Zagrino, Allie Gertz, Phil Ross, and Lisa Mezzacampa. We'll be at Piano Fight downtown, and that's free. I'm going to hope you'll join us for our annual SF Sketchfest show. It's always one of the highlights of the year. I love going out there. Uh, the info is up on the main site, uh, daleradio.com, or over at Sketchfest, sfsketchfest.com, so look for that. Till then, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, season nine podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening.